Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. Father, we are so grateful for your love for us, and we pray that you would give us ears to hear your truth. We pray, Lord, that you would give us a heart to want to do what you've called us to do. And we pray, Father, that you would make us people who chase after you and your goodness for our life at every turn. We pray, Lord, that today we would hear your voice, that we would step out in faith, and that we would trust you for our entire lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you probably remember not that long ago, a church in uh, nearby Maywood burnt to the ground. I had the opportunity along with one of the elders to go and talk uh, with the pastor of that church. He's been the pastor now for about 25 years. He's the only pastor. He has no assistant pastor, and it's been a long road. (laughs) He has fought at every turn to try harder, work harder, make the church grow, beg God to grow the people within the church, and time after time, and over the years and years, he grew more tired more dejected, and more worried about what would happen to him, what would happen to his congregation. He was at a local store, and he had just got done shopping, and he walked out to his car, and he saw a plume of smoke on the horizon, and he said, hmm, I wonder what that is. And as he was driving home with his groceries, something told him, the spirit, he says, you should go look at the church. And so he did. So he took a detour out of his way. He pulls up to the church around the corner as soon as he sees it, he knows The fire trucks are there. The smoke's coming from his building. The building that he had worked so hard to provide for his congregation. He says, I got out of my car. I walked to the side of the street and I wept. I wept. All of the years of work and ministry for the Lord were up in smoke, literally. If you drive down the Eisenhower today, in fact, we just did yesterday, you can see it. It looks like a ruins on the side of the expressway. The entire church is destroyed. As we met with him and we prayed with him, we talked with him, he told us a little bit about the days and weeks leading up to the fire. And he said, you know, I was really going through a difficult time, a crisis of faith, asking myself, is this even what you are calling me to do, Lord? Is this the direction that you would have me go? Do you want me to retire? Do you want me to do something else? And he says he was this close to just putting it all down. And he was downstairs working by himself in the church, and he suddenly had this moment, this change of perspective that the Lord, he says the Lord gave him that, no, this is good, that this is hard, but this is my will for your life. He said it gave him new energy. He said that he gave him new excitement and joy, and it was the very next day that the church burnt down. He says, what are you doing? (laughs) This is how you answer this prayer. He um, 
so I went to one of his first services at the new, he's, they're worshiping at the Broadview Community Center now. And so I went to one of the first services there. And he was talking about how this entire experience has completely transformed his faith and that he was on fire again, like he had been in the very first days of his salvation. That he had new hope and new joy and new expectation to see God work. That certainly there was a lot to pray for, but he was watching God again and again come through. And now they have the permission to rebuild the entire building because it has to be rebuilt from the ground up. They have the insurance stuff that they need taken care of in order to make that happen. And they're watching God work, bringing, as the scripture says, beauty directly from the ashes. Can you imagine being in that situation? I think about how I would react. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would come to this place of acceptance, joy, and peace so quickly. I would see it as a failure. I would see it as all those years of work down the drain. And I have to admit, I would pout. I would pout. How do you deal with failures? How do you deal with situations in your life where it seems like everything is lost? Everything you've worked so hard for, everything that you've striven for, strived for before the Lord is now gone. The truth is, the Bible tells us that because God is sovereign and always powerful, that we can have a new perspective, that we should seek a new perspective. One that says that I don't have failures because it's not me, ultimately, who's seeking the outcome. It's God. Ultimately, it's God working through us. So today we're going to be in 1 Kings 19. This is the story of Elijah and uh, just following a scene with Jezebel and Ahab. We're going to go through it. We're going to go forward and then go back. I'll give you some context. But if you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Kings chapter 19. If you don't, we will have them up here on the screen. You can follow along up here. So the first thing that we need to know is that when we are in a wilderness of failure or a wilderness of burnout, where it seems like everything is lost, our time has been thrown down the drain, first thing we do, we run to God. We run to God. God. It's so easy to say, I'm going to go take a nap. Sometimes that's good, and we're going to see that that's good. Sometimes we can run to something else, but we have to run to God. Listen to what happens. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. More on that in a second. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Give you a little bit of historical background about what happened. He says after this, in the previous chapter, what had happened was is that Elijah had called the prophets of Baal and Asherah, 850 prophets of these false gods that the northern kingdom of Israel were worshiping at the time. And they ascend to the top of Mount Carmel, high places in the scripture, especially mountains, hills, things like that are places of commune, of communion with God. And so they go to the top of Mount Carmel in the face of a drought, and Elijah has already told them that no rain will come until I say so. Yet the prophets of Baal set up a... I'm getting off track. I want to get this better for you. You guys got to understand this. In chapter 17, Elijah is raised up and told... 
by God that there would be no rain until he said so. Elijah. Elijah had the power to stay the rain or to call upon God and to make it rain. Why is this important during this time? It's because the northern, Israel, northern kingdom of Israel was worshiping Baal, all right? Baal was the Canaanite storm god. It is a god that Israel had worshiped again and again throughout its entire time in the land of Canaan. In fact, God warned the Israelites before they go to the land of Canaan to beware. To beware. Because you would be tempted to worship this god. You would be tempted to worship the other gods of Canaan and not me. And so the land of Canaan would look to the God of Baal to bring them rain. And so they would pray to Baal. They would call upon Baal. The problem is, is that according to Canaanite mythology, Baal would die once a year. Baal would die and there would be a time of drought. There would be a time of no rain. And they would call upon and do these things in order to sort of entice Baal to resurrect and to come back and to bring rain. And so Elijah puts that to the test. And says, meet me on Mount Carmel, bring all your prophets. We are going to beg Baal to make it rain. So they do. They assemble at the top of Mount Carmel. And Elijah says, if Baal exists and Baal can bring rain and Baal is actually who you says he is, you say he is, then go ahead and cry out to him. Ask him to make it rain. And so they do. They set up an entire sacrifice. They begin to cry out to Baal. They actually begin whipping themselves and injuring themselves according to their religious custom to entice Baal to make it rain. Guess what happens? Nothing. Nothing. At one point, Elijah is actually sort of making fun of them. He says, where's your God? Maybe he's taking a nap right now. Maybe he's at another appointment or he's doing something else. Perhaps if you cry louder, he will come. But of course, he never does, and he can never answer the cry for rain. So then Elijah says, well, do it this way. How about we see if Yahweh is capable of providing rain? So he says, what I'd like you to do is set up this sacrifice. I'd like you to pour all this water on it again and again to ensure that it is not possible that I'm playing any tricks. He soaks the sacrifice, and he looks to heaven. He says, Lord, make it happen. <laughs> And the Lord sends down fire from heaven and it eats up the sacrifice, eliminating everything in its wake. And ultimately, Yahweh is proven to be the one true God, the only God of creation upon whom the Canaanites should really be calling for rain. In a moment of excitement, Elijah commands that all these prophets of Baal be eliminated, killed at the sword. And so he does. And so now Ahab, the king of northern Israel, goes back to his wife, Jezebel, and tells her what happened. You see, Jezebel was one of these Baal worshipers. And she is none too happy. So she chases after Elijah and says, I am going to get you. Why is Elijah suddenly afraid after everything God has done for him? As we go back through the chapters, we can see God's capable of providing food. God's capable of providing protection. That God is powerful. That God is capable of sustaining Elijah. Yet in this moment, when Elijah says, I'm going to get you, everything changes. I think Elijah has met his match in Jezebel. As zealous as Elijah is for God, Jezebel is zealous for Baal. And he knows that she will do it. She's demonstrated again and again that she's capable of taking lives and she will out of defense of her beliefs in the false god, Baal. 
He knows that she will make good on her promise. She has killed before. We do this. We forget what God is capable of in our life, and we seek to we suddenly feel as if we are on our own. We do not go back and see all the times that God has been good and that God has provided. So Elijah takes off, running for his life, away from Jezebel. But he's running toward something. He runs from his failure, his fear, his burnout. He runs to the mountain of God called Horeb. Now, whether or not he intentionally runs to the mountain of God, I'm not sure. But God knows. He had an appointment with God that we're going to read about whether or not Elijah or God was the one who said it. Maybe you're in a season of burnout, a season of failure. After all, Elijah has done all of these works for the defense of Yahweh and to prove that Baal does not exist, and it seems that he has failed. Maybe your struggles seem to be a failure too. All seems lost. Or it seems too hard to just continue to go on. I want you to know that in this moment, when everything is done, when you're at your wit's end, that God is calling you to him. God is calling you to him. So run to him. Run to him. It's easy to run from something, our failures and our fears, to other things. You know, I think about uh, those who run to drugs. That was my thing. Those who run to alcohol. Those who run to shopping. Those who run to doubling down in their own strength. Those who seek to find their source of good, their source of power in something other than God. But when we run to other things, seeking to cover our failures or comfort us in our burnout, we stay in the wilderness and we prolong or even intensify it. When we're struggling, when it seems lost, when everything is hard, when everything just doesn't seem to be going and it seems like you're failing, seek God's face. He's waiting. He wants to hear that you're struggling. In fact, this is what we're going to see. Elijah does that very thing. It's amazing, though, as we're going to see what our words, when we're really honest about what we think is going on, how they betray our thinking. Listen to what Elijah says to God in the wilderness. He's running. He lays down under a broom tree and he prays. He says, Lord, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. He's saying, just kill me. Just kill me. It's all over. All is lost. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where you are facing such a failure or you are in such a place of burnout or you've tried so hard to do it your way that now there's no more striving. There's nothing else you can do. You are done. It's either this or death. The only thing left, turn to God. It's in those moments that God has your attention. And I believe that God allows us to bring ourselves to that place for this very reason. It's amazing the power of pain in, the, in our lives. It makes us willing. It opens our eyes and our hearts to turn to God and say, Lord, I can't, but you can. And when we look to him, we will find the power. We will find the power. See, Elijah had lost the sight of who God was. Here he's a prophet of Yahweh. He proclaims and preaches and talks all the churchy stuff, right? We talk all the churchy stuff high and lift it up. We say the Psalms. We talk about things. But in the end, do we live like it? When things get hard and we are struggling, when we're in our burnout, are we living as if the words we speak are true? 
Or are we hoping to simply cover our failures with more niceties? Elijah says it's done. I'm done. For all of his work on the behalf of Yahweh, for everything that he has done in defense of the God of Israel, one woman's message was enough to make him run and to say all is lost. When you look at his words, I think it's a little clue here as to why. He says, I'm no better than my father's. When I read this, it seems like Elijah is saying that he in some way has made his ministry about him. After everything that God has called him to do, he still looks at his own performance and relates it to the failures of the past. Here he thought, I was going to be the one to eliminate Baalism out of the land of Israel, that all of Israel would turn to the one true God, and I have failed. He took responsibility for consequences, for the effects of his obedience, instead of simply walking in faithfulness and trust to the God who called him. That takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of energy to hold on to our lives as we talked about white-knuckling things, seeking and striving to make things happen the way you think they should. Part of our human nature, we all do it, don't we? seems to be a fine balance between, well, what am I called to step out and act and what am I told to just stay back and allow God? The answer is, is we step out in faith and leave the results to him. We do what God is calling us to do. Otherwise, we're exhausted. Elijah's exhausted. He ran all the way from Mount Carmel. For those of you who are geographically inclined, it's far. Mount Carmel to Beersheba. I don't know, days. He runs. He lays down under a tree. Kill me now. Let's look at verse five. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a head at his head, a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in that strength, uh, the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Second thing we can see from this lesson, from this, this uh, text that we need to know is that when we're burning out, when, we've, when we're failing, when things are getting hard, we need to allow God and his people to minister to us. God in his goodness provides Elijah what he needs when he can't do it on his own. And Elijah rises and he eats. He takes the provision that's been offered to him, but we don't always do this, do we? I don't know how many times in my life I've said, answered the question, how you doing? Good, fine. When inside I was dying. Now, if this happens, I am positive that this is a day-to-day occurrence, especially on a Sunday morning. When we're called to get dressed up when we're called to put on our best, put on, I mean, how, we drive in a church sometimes telling my kids, you better be on your best behavior. Like, what is the ultimate you better be on your best behavior? Church, right? And so we get here and we put on a mask. We don't get honest about what's actually happening in our lives. So we do not allow people the opportunity to know what's actually happening. Thus, we never can have the opportunity to receive the blessing of God. This is something we need to guard against. Because it's very possible, in fact, it's probably often that we refuse help most in our time of need. 
Why do we do this? I think it's some aspect or in some way it's because we're too proud. We don't want to admit vulnerability, which can be dangerous. Other times we like being in the place we are. We like to remain in a place of self-pity. If I ask for help, I might find it, and we can't have that. There's something enticing and comforting, isn't there? About, I'm all alone, it's just me. It makes life easier sometimes, because then we don't actually have to hold ourselves accountable and step out and do something. God's provision is not limited, though, to our spiritual needs. We try to make everything a spiritual issue. I'm hungry, so I'm going to go to church. You know, um, I'm sick, so I'm going to focus on some spiritual aspect only. Instead of recognizing that because God made us as human beings with multiple needs and multiple facets, we have to address some of those things as well. Thus, the angel of the Lord does not show up to Elijah and just pray for him. He shows up and he gives him food and drink. Food and drink. We are physical beings created to consume for our survival. God recognizes that we have limitations as human beings. Like Elijah, we too need food and rest. And this is exactly what God provides. Food, water, sleep. When I think about rest, we do not do it enough. Maybe you agree. We sleep We nap, but we don't rest. And there's a distinct difference. We think that if I feel, if we feel burnt out, that if I can just get a power nap in there, it will fix everything. But we know that doesn't happen. We know that often doesn't work. There's something about a posture in our heart that we need to cultivate before the Lord and say, Lord, I need to walk in a place of rest. I need to work in a place of rest. And this occurs when we let go of trying to manage outcomes. And we trust the Lord to achieve in us what he wants to achieve instead of what we think we need to do in order to either justify ourselves before God or others or something else. This is what we often call self-care in today's world. In seminary, when we talked about pastoral counseling and ministry in general, this is one of the biggest lessons that they teach. You would think everything that they would teach you would be, you know, Bible, would be how to do weddings, how to, you know, how to do burials, how to do all this. No, a lot of what they do in seminary now, thankfully, is focused on self-care. It's focusing on being healthy in yourself so that you can minister to others. We all need this. We all need this. Jesus did this. Jesus would sleep in, Je- you know, in the boat. Everyone else is up rowing. Jesus is asleep. He knew he needed it. Jesus would go for a day or two. They didn't know where he was. He was out with his father praying. He was seeking that time with the Lord that he'd so desperately needed in order to be recharged for the great work of ministry. And it's the same with us. We try to live life. Life is our ministry. <laughs> life is our ministry. When we seek to do it in our own strength without caring for the body that God has given us and asking for help when we need it, we're doomed to fail. The angel of the Lord here brought nourishment to Elijah. The word here, the angel, is malach, messenger. It can mean an angelic messenger, but it can also mean a person. A person. And sometimes we have people that God sends to us in our time of need in order to minister to us when we need it. 
We each carry the message of God's love and care and should look around us in our time uh, for strength in our time of need. This is my, my prayer for Grace Bible Church is that when we come here, we know that we are in a place that is completely safe a place where we can be healed by the touch of God, the place that we can come on a Sunday morning to worship the Lord who saved us and encourage our brothers and sisters who are languishing, languishing. And if we were really honest, it would be more of us than what we think. But we have to be honest. We have to be willing to receive it. And we have to be willing to give it. Let's look at verse 9. There he came to a cave. Elijah comes and lodges in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. They seek my life to take it away. Elijah tells God exactly what's going on in his head, but God already knew. God's there. He sees what's going on with you. He calls you. He's telling you it's okay. Tell me. Tell me what's going on. The way Elijah says this, I'm very jealous, is interesting in Hebrew. The construction, it's technical, but the construction, he's like saying, I'm really, really, really jealous. Zealous for my ministry about Yahweh and to the Jewish people. The word here is almost like a campaign. I've campaigned so hard to win this election and I've lost. That feeling of everything you've done, everything you've put into it is now gone. What seems like failure is usually not. See, Elijah was confusing the effects of what he was doing and thinking he had the control of them instead of trusting God. We see Elijah make some faulty assumptions. One, he confused effort with effectiveness. We do this. We think if we work harder, we're doing more. (laughs) Sometimes we work harder and we're doing less. We become less effective. Sometimes our failures are good because it shows that we're focusing on the wrong things. Elijah also assumed that he was responsible to affect a certain outcome. This is the difference between goals and priorities. We set goals for our lives, don't we? In one way or another, we have a goal that we've decided we are going to achieve, and then when something gets in the way, we call it a failure. When the truth is, what we should be doing is setting priorities. Priorities. What that allows us is to hold these things with an open hand and say, Lord, if you have something different, then you can do that. That I will strive to do what it is you've called me to do, but in the end, Lord, the results are completely on you. He assumed that he alone was left in Israel, that all the prophets were dead, that nobody was left. What Elijah's doing is something called catastrophizing. He's taking an event, assuming all of these things and making it the worst case scenario. When the truth is, we don't, it's very rarely, I would say never, a worst case scenario because it's never as bad as we think. But God knows all is not lost. And he knows exactly what Elijah needs. And that's what he does for us. When we're struggling, when we're in burnout, when we failed, we run to God. We receive the help that he's giving us and we look to him for a fresh perspective. Fresh perspective. Look to God for a fresh perspective. Verse 11. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. 
and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is one of the great theophanies of the Old Testament. A theophany is an appearance of God. He often appears to people in thunder and earthquakes and smoke and fire from heaven like he did at Mount Sinai with the Jews. But God is reminding Elijah of his great power and his sovereignty over all of his creation. Here Elijah is running from a person and God is saying, don't forget who I am. When in your moments of fear and failure and burnout, remember who God is, what God is capable of doing and not looking at what we believe to be failures. Yet despite all this power, this show of force that God brings in the smoke, in the thunder, in the wind, in the fire, he ultimately appears in a low whisper. Some of your translations probably say a still, small voice. Something mysterious about that, isn't there? Think about that. You're in the cave God calls you to the mouth of the cave and you see the most terrific storm you've ever been in. And God's saying, I'm coming. And then you get to that moment of calm, of eerie silence and stillness. And out of it, God whispers to you, why are you here? Why are you here? God is speaking to the very heart of Elijah. And through the din of the storm, God is calling to you in a still, small voice. Are you listening? Are you watching what's happening around you in all of the chaos? Or are you listening to what God is saying? Perhaps God shows himself most powerful in our quiet moments of personal encounter with him. The problem is, is Elijah is thinking like in a manner that he is railing against in his ministry and he's acting like a Baal worshiper. Baal was the storm god. Each year, Baal died at the hands of Mott until he was resurrected by Baal's wife, Anat. This is the myth. Elijah is acting as if Yahweh died and no longer exists. He's acting as if he's entirely on his own, the same way Baal worshipers would cry out that Baal would be resurrected to bring rain. God reveals himself to Elijah apart from the storm, though. He says, I'm not in the storm. I'm above it. I'm behind it. I create it. Jezebel, Ahab, Baal, all of it, everything in your life and in this story is superintended by a God of power and love. I don't know if Elijah gets the message. Because when he says it again, he repeats it. He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord. The God of hosts for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even only I, am left, and they seek to take my life away. He must have really believed that this is what's happening. We must be willing to see and hear God and allow him to show us the truth about who he is and about our situation. Of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. But I hope that after 
If I were to see this display of power in the Lord or any of us, we would probably say the second time, um, never mind. After seeing all of that, this is who I am, this is my power, this is what I'm capable of doing. Like in the book of Job. Job is shown God's power after railing against God, questioning God, why would you? God shows it and Job says, I get it, I get it. God asks us to receive what he shows us by faith without holding our presuppositions of how we think it should or should not be because we miss out on so much that the Lord wants to tell us by assuming we already know the answer. Assuming we already know the answer. So finally, we see this here. The fourth point is allow God to redirect your mission. What we see as failures might just be something different on the path to something else. 15, and the Lord said to him, go, Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. In Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat of Abel Mechalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. And I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. He's saying, Elijah, it was never your job to affect this final outcome. You are not alone. There are other people out there. You had a part, but not the whole. After Elijah voices his dismay over his perceived failure, God sends him right back out there to serve. Now that you know that, go. What's interesting is he sends him directly back the way he came. If Mount Carmel is in northern Israel. He runs south to Beersheba and then down to Horeb, which is down in the Sinai Peninsula. He's running as far away from Jezebel as possible because she says, I'm going to get you. What does God say? Go back the way you came. Sends him to Damascus, which means he has to traverse all of the territory that he just ran through to go back and to be obedient to God. You need to go and continue on. You need to get back out there. Thankfully, Elijah obeys. Perhaps God's self-revelation to him has served to empower and encourage Elijah, hopefully. God is bigger than Jezebel in all of his circumstances, but either way, it's a step of faith, and Elijah knows that God will protect him. We too often fail or burn out and allow the after effects of that event to pervade our everyday life. We lose our confidence. We make a big mistake or even a small mistake. Anything we perceive as a failure in our life, and we say, it's all done, I can't do it. And we begin to define ourselves upon that failure, by that failure. What it does, it tends to paralyze us, doesn't it? And fear and self-doubt and sometimes even apathy. But go back out there. You're in a season of burnout. Seek the Lord's face. Seek new perspectives. Seek the help that he wants to give you through Him, his word, through his spirit, and through his people. And go back out there. Live the life that God has called you to and the knowledge that God is bigger than your struggles. That your failures are often just way stations on a road to something better and different. And trust in him. So run to God. Allow him to, be, to minister to you and to his people minister to you. Look to God for a fresh perspective and allow God to redirect your mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. 
We thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for our failures, for we know in them we're redirected according to your will. We thank you, Lord, for even for our burnout. Help us, Lord, to learn how we get there. Nourish us in that place and help us and prepare us, Lord, to be sent back out to do your will. We pray, Lord, that you would bless this time, that you would grow us more like Jesus, that you do it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.